0: Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Carolyn Talks. I am your host, Carolyn Heise, and this is a podcast where I talk to film creators about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today I'm speaking with cinematographer Alan Gwizdowski to talk about the film Hulk for Jesus Savior Soul, written, directed, and produced by Adama Ibo I saw this film at the 2022 Sundance Film Festival and you and if you you're familiar with my podcast you would have seen that I spoke to Adama and her sister Adane who also co-produced the film and Sterling K Brown and Regina Hall who play the lead characters and Alan being the DP I'm very excited to talk to him because the way how this film is shot is very interesting because it's not a typical straight-on feature it has like different components because there's the actual filming of the characters and then there's a component of where it's being recorded like a documentary and then there are scenes where they're being where it's kind of like a YouTube version of the of the characters themselves because they're speaking from a a sermon so when we get into uh, we'll get more into that into the film but as usual I like to uh, ask Alan to talk a bit about himself and what got him into um, becoming a cinematographer so Alan what led you down the path of becoming a cinematographer?
1: Well, I was uh, always around cameras growing up. Um, my dad worked in local TV news. He was a director, producer of, uh, of uh, broadcast journalism. Um, so I grew up around cameras, but then I got into making skateboard videos when I was younger. So I really, that's the first time I picked up a camera to record my own footage and um, uh, really like to get creative with it. So I steered away from the, uh, the broadcast journalism, um, really got to into uh, making creative images, started doing photography and um, combining images in Photoshop. Um, and then I, I decided to go to film school. I went to Emerson College. Um, and it's really there that I found that I, the the role of DP is what I wanted to do um, because I like working with cameras and lighting, but I didn't necessarily like directing the mm-hmm. actors or the talent. So working with a director who's going to do that aspect of it uh, while I get to create the images, that's that's really where I fell in love with it.
0: Mm. And for this film, because I've seen in your um IMDb that you've worked on some different genres, so mm-hmm. to me, Hung for Jesus is kind of like a mult a uh, kind of like a mix up of different genres because it's like a typical feature film, but then it also includes a bit of documentary aspects, and then as well as YouTube and lo- or what we would call like um like, it's like YouTube, but then also this kind of where is like you're recording, you're filming the recording of a YouTube video. So mm-hmm. um, when you what, what was it about this film that that made you want to work on this particular project because it's like, it's different from what you've done before.
1: Well, um, it is different from what I've done before, but it's kind of a mix of, of several projects or several types of uh, projects that I've done before. Um, when I read the script and saw that there was uh, a documentary portion to it, um, but it also needed to have the traditional narrative. Um, sorry, I have a helicopter going right over me. It's okay. um, <laughs> uh, the, um, the, the two distinct styles that needed to be created were things that I had done in the past, but they hadn't necessarily been um, put together into a single project before. So that was very interesting to me. Um, doing the faux documentary. Uh, I like to call it faux documentary or fake documentary instead of mockumentary um, mm-hmm. because we'd like to treat that footage um, as if it were real and and take it as seriously as possible. So um, as opposed to something like the office where there's uh, the camera is really accentuating jokes and doing like pop zooms on punchlines and stuff like that, what we really like to do is um, treat the camera work and the lighting as seriously as possible and let the comedy come from the characters and the ridiculous situations that they end up in. Um, and this was this was a technique um, and something that I developed over the years working with uh, Tony Yesenda, um on several short projects and also American Vandal, um, the show for Netflix, which uh, just happened to be a uh, a big influence for honk for Jesus. So even before I came into the project, that was a reference that Adama had already talked about.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. And you you talked about um, the office and how the office like their filming style as a documentary is more about using, as you said, the camera angles and the filming style itself as a comedic element within the mm-hmm. story. As where for this, as you said, is a fake documentary. But it's fake in that it's not one that's going to be premiered as an actual documentary, but it's filmed in the fact like it could be used as actual footage for a real documentary if they wanted to. So how did you go about approaching like the, like working with the dam of deciding which scenes were going to be for the documentary footage and which scenes were going to be for the actual film haunt for Jesus itself?
1: So in the scripts, um it would be noted whether or not a specific scene should be captured in documentary or we're calling it cinematic mode, um, which is the traditional narrative style that is outside of the documentary. So most of those distinctions were noted in the script, but then there were several scenes that needed to be covered in both ways because it was going to cut back and forth. So whenever it came to those scenes, we basically covered it from top to bottom in the documentary form and also in the, the traditional narrative form um, and then left it up to the edit to where that was actually going to, uh, be showcased or where it was, where it was going to be placed in. Um, there was, there were several scenes that we knew for sure were going to be a hundred percent documentary. Some scenes were going to be a hundred percent, um, cinematic because there, there's no reason for the documentary cameras to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like them, uh, Trinity and Lee Curtis Giles, like at home at night, like they wouldn't invite the documentary cameras into their bedroom. Um, so those scenes were covered as uh, as if it was their real lives behind the documentary. Um, mm-hmm. When it when it came to the documentary footage, we we really wanted to set in place rules that we would follow. Basically, what what are the decisions that Anita, the the documentary filmmaker in the movie, what are her decisions? Creative decisions as a documentarian that she would want to make for her film. So we set those rules. Um, and then anytime we would go to uh, the documentary style, we basically had like a, a cheat sheet or a guideline of like what these angles or camera moves, what lenses, um, sh- should it be handheld or is it an interview? Um, all those things kind of listed out already. So that we knew whenever we're going to that style this is the distinct look that's going to be created for that.
0: Mm. I was actually going to ask you about that if there was a difference in um, the camera lens and the specific cameras used for the cinematic versus the documentary and even for those used as the um, YouTube footage of the sermons because I did notice that there's a slight difference in the green mm-hmm. and like the way how the light kind of like permeates through the lens. So, how did you go about choosing which lens to use for for the scenes and for the mo- and for the different modes?
1: For the documentary modes, um one of our biggest influences was the documentary Marjo um about uh a real um child pastor in the 70s who basically has a, a camera crew follow his his life and um uh, he reveals to the cameras that he is a hypocrite and doesn't actually believe the stuff that he's doing. Um, but it's a very um, uh, verite style documentary where the camera it's um, it's on zoom lenses. It's it's handheld. It's moving around a lot, um, reframing constantly. Um, and that was our biggest influence for um, the documentary style. So we decided to go with spherical lenses for the documentary, um, mainly using zoom lenses. Um, mm-hmm and then and for the most part stay in a handheld look so then to to juxtapose that for the cinematic look we went with almost entirely static camera work um except for when we did have to do move the camera we went with a really smooth uh look either dolly or on a gimbal Um, and then we also used anamorphic lenses for the cinematic look um so the the documentary footage is actually a uh, crop to an aspect ratio of 14 by nine um, so that we could bring it even further away from the, the 240 um, crop for the, the cinematic look. And um, another reason for that is because the, the YouTube style sermon footage, um, that was, act- we actually used the uh, old Sony beta cams that the church had. So they provided us with um, mm-hmm. some B-roll of the crowd. We actually weren't able to fill the crowd Uh, with extras um, mainly due to COVID um, and the church uh, was under repair so they weren't doing weren't currently doing any sermons so they provided us with some footage of their past sermons where the the camera's sweeping over the crowd it's a whole packed audience and we used their same cameras to shoot the reverse of that with Sterling on stage so that that footage with him on stage cutting with the crowd um, it's old really really dirty uh, SD footage, and it's natively uh, four by three aspect ratio. So to bring our documentary footage a little closer to that, we cropped the sides in and went to a 14 to nine aspect ratio um, and decided to go for a more video kind of look for the documentary. And then the cinematic mode tried to separate that and go for a more traditional kind of film uh, look, added some grain and a cinemascope aspect ratio.
0: Mm. okay so I didn't know that the footage of the of the congregation was like footage from the actual church itself Mm -hmm. and that actually kind of ties into the question that I that I've been really asked wondering is because like I'm from the Caribbean so like our churches are built slightly different to churches in North America but the way how we but so there's a very specific way to like when we're filming um church sermons and Mm -hmm. um it's slightly different because like the architecture is different so the cameras can be placed like different locations because like a lot of our churches have like really high ceilings and they're like super open because like it's so sunny we get like a lot of natural lighting um but like for the church where you filmed it's like very dark and because there's one thing there's a lot of wood there's like a lot of mahogany and they use like a lot of velvet like there's a lot of dark burgundy velvet for the seating and then there's like the the royal blue in the background and stuff so like how did you go about setting up since, since you said that like you use their footage that means you would have had an idea of where they set up their cameras already mm-hmm. so like how did you go about like making sure that the angles they use for their natural for their original footage matched with the, the footage that the camera angles that you use not only for the sermons, but for the scenes where like Regina and um Sterling are talking to the camera for the uh, for the full documentary segments. Because I was interested to see like I re- I was really wondering like how did you go about not only lighting this church because it's lighting for a for for cinema for one thing. And that's different than lighting for a regular church sermon. You know, like you have to make sure you get enough lighting so that we the audience, we the audience can see the characters in a way that mm-hmm. works on the screen. Whereas for church, like they're lighting specifically for the audience to get a specific impact for the service. So like, how did you go about working around that with your setting up with the cinema top with the cameraman and the lighting and also with Adama and Sterling and Regina with like just working out the the lighting and everything with that?
1: Mm -hmm. So we um, actually worked with the um, head of media for the media department for the church um, and, he showed us the uh positions for the cameras where where they typically would um record the sermons from um there's a, a straight on camera um uh, uh right in the middle of the sanctuary that would uh, produce a wide shot and uh, a a follow single um so no matter where they walked on stage the camera can just from that that pivot point um follow them for the entire sermon and then there was a couple more cameras uh, that would be placed um more on the side, and then also looking back towards the crowd. Uh, and those were the, the four typical positions for that specific church's um, sermons. But then we also watched a bunch of other um, YouTube references of just other sermons uh, at mega churches around the US um, and decided on uh, how we mainly wanted to cover Sterling being on stage and knowing that we had to work within the limits of um, not having extras to fill the entire church so what specific angles would work for us to be able to to sell um, the portions that we had to record versus what we also um, just gathered from the church and then when it came to the lighting uh, working with the the media department from the church they showed us basically how they had a a pre-recorded segments of a sermon so if it was something where the The pastor is at the pulpit um, and it's the opening of a sermon, there would be a specific lighting for that. And then if they were going to um, uh, the communion pool, which is a totally separate area and kind of elevated up onto the next level um, for baptisms, they would do uh, um, a different lighting setup for that and so on. So there was, I would think, I would say like 10 to 12 pre-programmed lighting setups that they had for sermons. Um, so we, we looked through all those um, and decided which ones were relatively in the ballpark of what we were looking to do. Um, and then based on the, uh, the levels that were presented as, as a baseline from those um, pre-recorded uh, settings, then I would take that and then augment it to, to feel or to fit how we needed for the movie whether I needed a little bit more light and I needed to, to amp it up, or if we wanted to just take light away from a certain section because it uh, was distracting um, or just needed to shape it. It was all based on what they would actually do, but we just augmented it to to fit our situation a bit better.
0: Mm-hmm. And going into this, did you have any idea that it would be kind of like so technical that church um, sermons and the way how they operate with their media teams like, is, like, is so technical because it's like a big <laughs> it's like a big production right it's like the way you're talking that you would think it's like a a concert event or something but it's for church and it's kind of like what the film is about is kind of talk about how church has now become this big production about Mm -hmm. always being on and performing and always looking their best and stuff Yeah, what what was your reaction when you were you when you sat in your thing oh wow this is this is a production in and of itself
1: (laughs) yeah because I went to church when I was young um, but there was no media in those churches it was just uh, it was just the sermon itself and then and then that was it. So there was, there was lights on the stage, but there was no real production to it. Um, so it was definitely a different level of, of, of thinking about it. Like I have seen images on TV and I, I have seen the references, but, um, I had never been to a mega church that had a full on production team, um, cameramen and, and lighting department. Um, so yeah, that was, that was definitely, a, a an eye opener to me to see how big that that portion of the church is um and how how many people work in the media department alone um so it was interesting to see and then uh once um once i really dove in and was working with their head of the media department um it was kind of just like any other tv production that i had been around it just happened to be their focus is on the church so um it wasn't too far off of being like a news station uh, mm-hmm. when I was a kid going to see like my dad work on the the local six o'clock news.
0: Mm. That's so interesting because, like, I think especially for like us, we're we, millen- millen- millennials, right? Yeah, like coming from like growing up in church where, like you said, there, there was no camera. Like the only time you would probably have a camera would be um, if it's like a special occasion, like Christmas, yeah. Christmas event or something. And you don't have like the standing cameras. You know, there's like the camera in the middle on the tripod, mm-hmm. and that's it. And like, I I think it also has to be with how technology has progressed because so much so everything is so interconnected with the internet now. Like, there everything is made to show for the internet, and it has a global perspective. So it's like, we kind of like how we saw the evolution of of internet coming from dial up to Wi Fi is like churches. It's kind of the same way it's been evolving, and I love how you guys explore that in the film because like you you get to see how everything is a spectacle now. Even worship is a spectacle now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And um, I wanted to ask, you know, for, this is something I, I, I'm i always interested in with regards to, like, a film, with regards to, like, cinematographers and costume um, designers. Because I know sometimes mm-hmm. costume designers and cinematographers have to work pretty closely because, like, you have to take into consideration the materials and the colors being worn by the characters and how, like, that could appear on screen. Because, like, some colors don't show up as well on screen, Depending on like its motif, it's like satin, cotton, linen, or whatever. So like, how did you go about working with the costume designer to work with this the um, specific scenes? Because there's some scenes where like in the church, like the like um, Sterling's and Regina's uh, co- uh, clothing is a bit more muted, whereas outside mm-hmm. they're wearing I think more flashier clothes. Like a lot of the clothes have more like iridescent colors. Like my favorite scene sequence is the one close to the end where she's wearing the my makeup. And she has a mm-hmm. yellow dress, and I'm like that. There's a message being given in what she's wearing, in particular. So, like, how did you go about working with the costume designer?
1: For the most part, um, we just let the costume designer run wild with these these uh, extravagant church outfits. Um, there was a few colors that we would stay away from: um, uh, dark reds um, and bright reds, uh, for one. Mainly just. Um, the symbolism there as opposed to anything that the, co- the camera could handle. Um, but for the most part, uh, we let the, the costume designer run wild. Um, and Adama had a, a, a very strong opinion about the clothing. So um, unless there was something that stood out to me, um, like a, a pattern that would create the more effect or something like that, um, then I would let them pretty much choose what they wanted to do costume wise. Um, knowing that we really wanted those colors to pop in the end. So uh, when it came to the color grade, we wanted to go for a really warm feel, um, even when it's overcast, we wanted it to feel hot. Um, so we went for some some browns in the shadows and make it feel warm overall, um, and then muted. Uh, there's a lot of greenery in the background. Um, so we muted the greens to to subdue that so it didn't stand out too much. And then we specifically, a lot of times, would select the color of the outfits because um, it, for the most part, they're very bright, vibrant outfits. So it wasn't too hard for us to to pinpoint those in the color correction and and bring them out selectively to to give the clothing a little more of a saturated pop.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a particular scene where I like. I think the difference in like not only the tone of the film but the costume and the lighting really kind of me really stands out. And that's the scene where. Um, Lee Child and Trinity meet the Sumters and they're mm-hmm. in this room and it's like mostly like this muted gray, but it's more like um like it's more modern because there's like you know like the crystals and the mm-hmm. pewter and the silver and they're wearing like like similar colors and whereas Trinity and um, Lee Childs are kind of standing up because their clothing is more flashy. So for you, like, I always see, like, cinematography is about telling a visual story, you know, it's about translating what's happening in the film, but through colors and lighting and, like, Mm -hmm. camera placement and everything. So for you and for that scene, like, what scene, what were you trying to convey to the audience in that scene?
1: That's a good question. Um, That scene in particular, it's a face-off. They, it's the, it's two versus two. Um, and we wanted to keep it that way until um, uh, Mrs. Sumter kind of gives her first dig um, mm-hmm. and and really singles out uh, Trinity so that's the that's the change from the two shot to a single um, and we really start to see uh, the personal hatred that that happens at that moment. Um, so we we started off with um Camera stays static the entire time um and it's it's opposing two shots they're working together um, each couple is is on a side and they're um, they're on a team mm-hmm. and uh we wanted to make it but we showed the the profile four shot where the, you can see all of them just squared off directly with each other and then um besides that it's it's a two shot in both directions static camera squared off um and you can see that, that each side, they are working as a team at that point. And then once um, uh, Mrs. Sumter gives that first dig about the, uh, the congregants choosing where they're gonna go, then we wanted to get in closer and, and really show that um, Trinity is, there's a lot going on in her mind at that point. So we wanted to focus on her eyes and see that she's darting back and forth between the two of them and really trying to think of like what it is that, that she's gonna say next, because a lot of it is um, in the conversations that the, uh, the church people have there, they're putting on uh, a nice face um, and trying to um, still be as polite as possible, even when they're mad. Um, mm-hmm. And they try to give these subtle digs um, while presenting a smile. So we wanted to get in closer there to see her eyes and see the fury behind them, but that she's still putting on a smile um and trying to be as polite as possible in this argument that she's having
0: yeah th- that that scene is so um familiar to me because like women would be <laughs> like you know like you gotta keep the you gotta be decorous, keep your composure but you just be like i'm killing you with kindness right now <laughs> yeah. <basically>, yeah. <laughs> that scene is great to me because i just love nicole and, and regina's like they're that is that like, they call it a face-off it's almost like a showdown at um at noon at high noon if it was a yeah. western they'll be the two the two gun slayers <laughs> meeting in the um Meeting at noon. Um. So I know we have to wrap it up, but I have one little nerdy question to ask. And so, yep. like, there's this scene close to the end. Like, I talked about the scene where she's wearing the yellow, but this is also another phase off where, like, we're really getting to see what is really the the whole crux of the matter. Like, why are they doing mm-hmm. this documentary? And is um is like the camera pulls out, and this is where it's in cinematic mode, and we get to finally see the videographers doing the um the, the full documentary. And I had to ask, I'm like, are those two men doing the, cin- um, the, the videography for that? Are they the actual video um, videographers who are doing who are doing the operation for the, for the um for the documentary aspect filming? Are they the actual filmmakers? I was just like, i like, I wonder if they really are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, they they're not. They're um, actors uh, standing in as cameramen. Um, oh, okay okay so we the way we designed that one um that scene in particular um for all of the actually for all of the the documentary stuff, we would plot out where we wanted the cameras to be for the documentary portion, and then for this scene in particular, we had to be very precise because we knew that they were gonna in in the end be on camera for the cinematic mode um so based on where our actors needed to be and how the the, the blocking of the scene turned out, um, we placed, we figured out where we wanted to place the documentary cameras, where they would be recording from. So we wanted to have one across the street and we wanted to have one up close to the car for when Khalil pulls up. Um, there was also some very specific framing uh, um, that we had to keep in mind because we had to shoot a lot of the the stuff out on the the sidewalk, we actually had to shoot in two different areas um, because we had a real uh, main road with live traffic that we were not able to control because it was the like the main thoroughfare in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything facing out towards the road, we had to do on the sidewalk of the real road. So you had live traffic driving in the background, but then anything that was facing um, to where we saw the church in the background, that was actually in the church parking lot about a um, hundred feet away. And there was a, a parking lot sidewalk that we could use there um, to stage, pull, have the car pull up, like you know, create our own minor traffic jam there um, and not have the equipment and crew in the road. Um, so we were splitting these two different areas that we uh, needed to record in. So half the scene took place in one, half the scene took place in the other. Um, and there was very specific angles that we could use without um, giving it away that we were in two different places. Um, so so right off the bat, we designed where we wanted uh, Trinity to be, where the car would pull up right in front of her and that Lee Curtis is like another 40 or 50 feet down the, the sidewalk. Um, and where would the two documentary cameras be to cover this portion of the documentary? So once we found their marks, uh, we recorded that footage first and we use the same, we're using a, a red Gemini as our, our main A and B cameras. Um, so we used that same camera for documentary and for cinematic mode, but we just changed settings and lenses um, and the, the LUT that was in camera for the overall look. Um, so we recorded the, the documentary footage first, found out where exactly they w- those cameras should be. Um, once we knew where that was, then once we switched over to the cinematic mode, we brought in our extras with the fake camera um, mm-hmm. and put them on those same marks that we were actually recording from. So um, at that point we didn't have to try and keep them out of the frame or hide the, uh, yeah. you, hide them from the cameras. We knew that they were, they were there and they're supposed to be on film at that point. So um, every, every documentary shot is from the same position that you see the uh, documentarian on camera in the cinematic mode. Um and uh yeah, we it's something that we once once we know where those things take place and where they should be, then um crossing the line um is forgiven at that point. And you really you understand where everything is taking place, where the cameras are, and and at that point, um just let the the scene play out with the characters and we started to mix the uh, the documentary and cinematic mode. Um, which we were specifically keeping separate for most of the film, um, handheld zoom lenses versus the static uh, anamorphic. Um, once we got to this scene, we combined those two styles because at that point, um, everything's out on the table and it's no longer only being seen by a documentary or, or their personal lives. It's all coming together as one at that point. So we decided to mix everything um, and, and lay their dirty laundry out on the table.
0: Great! Thank you so much for talking to me, Alan. This is great. Yeah. I, I'm i I'm always interested to know how I love films, but I'm always I think slightly more interested to know how they're made. And like speaking, mm-hmm. being able to speak with you and other creatives helps I, me, and I think other people appreciate just how much work <laughs> goes into creating regular films, but then also a film like this where there's so much, uh where there's just so much more to it because it's like not just like a regular film, like you're telling like. Technically, three different stories at the mm-hmm. same time. And like, so much goes into just like one shot. Cause that scene, the last scene you're we talking about, like, that was just one scene. That was just one time we got to see the videographers, and like, so much went into yeah. it, just like choreo- choreographing and planning and blocking that one scene. So, thank you so much for speaking with me. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Scene. Yeah. The
0: nerding me is very happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Um, so I think this is it. Is there anything that you would like audiences to know? Is there another, any other projects that you're working on? Because you, you mentioned American Vandal. And I think um, the publisher you also mentioned you worked on a film called Players as well. Is there yeah. anywhere else that other that people can find other, more of your work?
1: Yeah. Um, so Players is actually uh, the same creators as American Vandal, Tony mm-hmm. Ascenda and Dan Perrault. Um, I've worked with them for years and uh, went to college with them at, at Emerson. Um, but we we did this show last year. Um, it came out on Paramount Plus. Um, premiered earlier this year. Uh, it's it's all available on Paramount Plus now. All episodes are streaming. Came out a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, it's also in the the faux documentary space. Um, it's about an esports uh, team following their their road to their first championship. Um, uh, kind of in the vein of the F1 series Drive to Survive and Michael Jordan documentary, uh, The Last Dance, um, but uh, following an esports team. And it's, uh, it's in a similar way, we tried to keep it as authentic as possible. Um, that one we used many more cameras than we did on Honk for Jesus. We, had, we ended up actually using uh, 40 plus cameras for the different <laughs> styles in that one. But um, that one's available on Paramount plus. And then I also have uh, another movie just happened to be premiering the same weekend as Honk for Jesus called um, Out of Office. That one's on uh, Comedy Central.
0: Mm, Okay, great. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you i appreciate it so everyone that was another episode of Karen and toss and today i spoke with cinematographer DP um alan gwazowski to talk about the film Hong for jesus save your soul which premiered at the 2022 sundance film festival this film is a hilarious satire with slight horror elements if i do say if i if i'm reading correctly which um which is talking about how the Black church, in particular, Latin North American churches, is all about facade, you know, like the pastors and their wives and even the congregants put on facades in front of each other. And while they say that they're doing everything for Jesus, you're wondering, is it really for Jesus or is it really for them? But the film really focuses on the female Lee, who is Trinity Childs, who played amazingly by regina hall she better be getting some awards and recognition for this performance both her and sterling k brown actually and it talks about the pressures on women and how women are made to see, feel that they have to unconditionally support their husbands their church leaders and even the church congregants and like they're like i'm doing all of this for everyone else but who what was being done for me and you know it's like the whole in the bible says a virtuous and it talks about being a virtuous woman and a faithful wife and a faithful leader and like well you that's all well and good it's like but what is what is there left for her what's edifying for her and so the film is a really good um look at that especially in how the black church operates and the how there's scandals in the black church and like there's scandals between the pastors and their wives and the pastors and their congregants and for a lot of people who are familiar with black churches there will be some elements of the story um as well as the the characterizing of the characters like there like some of the things they say some of the the way they, ways they act are familiar to people who are familiar with a lot of Black um, pastors and then there's the element of um, just like as Christians in particular as Christian women like what is like how far is does your Christianity stretch in the fact of how far do you have to sacrifice yourself to be a good, considered a good Christian and it's like are you being considered good? is it to be considered a good Christian for God or just a good, a good Christian for other people but the film um, written directed and produced by uh, Adama Ibo and co-produced with her twin sister Adani um, is amazing I love it like it's, it's hilarious and you can watch my segment with Uh, where I spoke to both Adana and Adame and Regina and Sterling for the African American uh, Film Critics Association. We did a roundtable of them after the Sundance premiere, and that's in video format on my YouTube channel. And you can watch the whole um, roundtable on the Africa YouTube channel as well. And as usual, I'll provide a link for that in in the description box for the YouTube channel. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, as always, uh, at... Carrie C N H that's at C R I E C N H one two. And I had a great time talking with Alan and I and I appreciate him taking the time to talk with me today. And I'll be linking this on my YouTube channel as usual, where you can find um in my pin tweets, where you can find my YouTube, my latest work published as well. And um, you can go to my R3 page, that's r3.com slash Carolyn Heinz to find my latest pub all of my published work. From like 2017 when I began doing film criticism um, up until present. And um until the next episode of Carolyn Talks, everyone, stay safe. <laughs>